swish, swish, swish. Welcome, listeners, to another session of Culture Shock Therapy. It's your host, Mary Jane. This next guest we have in the offices today, I'm very excited to talk to. This next guest and I, we go back a long time. Uh, We've been through a lot together, so I'm excited to uh, go down memory lane and also talk about what this person is up to. Welcome to the show, Ritu. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. Um, We did a recording months ago, but the audio file got destroyed. Oh, wow. And that was a very um, ADD episode, I remember, for us. That sounds right. That tracks. We we talked about like a hundred different topics, but it was fun. Yeah. I'm glad because this this is just how I talk in general. Before I ask you about your background, I want to clarify that you are our first Canadian guest on the program. Hey, well, um, and, but how, how long have you been in Canada? I've been in Canada for exactly two weeks. Okay. And so far, does it feel like ultra similar to the United States for you? That depends. I think when I'm outside, it actually does not because there's like a certain architectural aesthetic that Canada has that's different from the U.S. Um, Lots of brick to start off. They, in fact, have a store and it's called The Brick. (laughs) And it used to be the only only store that you could get furniture stuff at. And it was only this aesthetic. So brick buildings everywhere. Yeah. Have you heard any accents yet? interesting accents oh yeah um most people so i feel like i thought that the canadian accent was quite similar to the u.s accent except for the you know like the fun little things that americans tend to make fun of about canadian accents um but the more i listen they're they're like more they're very different the way they say certain words have more like are rounded out more um and then, of course, there's like the sorry and and stuff like that, which, yeah. The O's and the U's. Yeah, yeah. Are... They like really go for their U's. Um, I just drank a, a plastic water bottle on, on the camera. And like whenever I am around like one of my friends from like back in the day, I feel really bad about that because I used to be part of all these anti-plastic campaigns oh, and like yeah. of, of course i still support that but also less shits are given like uh how, how do you feel about some certain things like that like are you the kind of person that's like put that down or recycle <laughs> you asshole well i understand the, the idea behind that but i don't think it's that easy to just avoid plastics like people say i mean Obviously, if you want it, you can do it. But I guarantee that that's not going to change the world. And so <laughs> we can stop pretending that it does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know someone who um, was really into recycling and would just talk about it all the time. And the other thing that they loved talking about, and it was like 90% of their personality, was chickens. Like how okay. they were tortured for our pleasure. And I was just like, you can... You can say it like twice and then let it go. Like you can't make me give up chicken. And he was just so, so sure that doing recycling and not eating 
me could like solve all the problems of this world so um did did i know this person or is this someone from mm-hmm. okay it's from yeah, my masters to... okay and i do want to say you are our first you're the first person we've had on the program that is in this level of education that you are this hey. this this high education and i think you're like living proof that just because you're in academia doesn't mean you're like you have to be like pretentious or you have to be oh, uh <laughs> you know i like there's a you know there's a big stereotype about people in academia and i think you're you're like living proof that it is just a stereotype you know and that anyone can pursue these type of things you I don't agree. have to you don't have to like embrace i i was going to say like like talk talk in the way that maybe highly educated white people want people to talk yeah that makes sense. yeah for sure um i know what you're talking about and it's so it's actually super prevalent especially in like the english department um but it goes like the it it, it surprisingly can manifest in different ways like when i was at asu um there were people who we're like anti-academia in ways that were unproductive, right? And like, I knew people who refused to learn certain parts of, of like English, which like, if it's like canon, you're avoiding canon, I support you. But that's not what they were doing. They would avoid- What, what would an example of uh, something you could ignore that's canon? Because I, I don't Shakespeare. think- Shakespeare. Well, Shakespeare. Okay. Who needs Shakespeare? Like- I feel like the culture that Shakespeare brings to to the language and are, are in our daily lives already. And when you read it, when you actually read it, Shakespeare is so racist. Like, he, yeah, there's that play Merchant of Venice, which is just about how much he thinks Jewish people are yeah. like. And and the only good Jew was the one that converted to Christianity. Yeah, like, yeah, come on and. I, I don't know, but I, I don't know how much this is. I think this is relatively new in the in the field of Shakespeare. But like um, in, at ASU, there's a professor who specifically works in race and Shakespeare. And she's just uncovered all of this discourse about how so much of Shakespeare contains these these absolutely racist descriptions of black people. And it like, you can, you can see it once you, once you see it, you can't unsee it, but there's just like coded words for, for African, like slave, slave words. I can do English. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was just very racially coded. Not to mention like if William Shakespeare knew that Othello was actually played by a, like, um, male presenting black actors he would probably be like wait just put like face paint on right this yeah because like that was a huge thing as well was the menstrual and uh like making any skin that's like darker than eurocentric white like a caricature yeah for sure i'm trying to remember the name of this play god um so it's not shakespeare but it's from the same era like and it's the same setting. It's a royal court setting. Um, it was Queen Anne writing a play with Ben Johnson. Um, ben Johnson? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard his name. 
uh, when people were talking about like Elizabethan yeah. literature yeah. and all that stuff. So he wrote this play about, it was about like, so it's set in this forest or the, or the jungle, the wilderness. And they're like these daughters of the river God. And they are, they believe that they're the most beautiful in, in, you know, ever known. And they see a white woman and they're black. They see a white woman and they're like, whoa, we are actually so ugly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, like, that's the whole plot. They like pray to the moon to turn them white. And I, I guess like the modern version of that is like, to me, it's like the how like a lot of women of color, like if they enter a workplace with like hair that's not European, they're told it's like ugly and unprofessional. Yeah. But the, the more European you make it, the more you know american girl it looks then you're beautiful like then you look presentable it's like yeah yeah i know i know exactly what you mean it's right like- and oh it's called mask of blackness and like the performance queen anne did it for the court which is really not normal for for like you know the royalty to do that but she was she said she wrote this whole play with ben johnson for her husband's birthday who's her husband i don't know um <laughs> But she performed it in blackface and she was also very pregnant. And yeah, at the end of the play, like there were guests who refused to come into physical contact with her because she was in blackface. That was already deemed like not pure, not clean. So Shakespeare is very aware of all this stuff and it comes up in his plays a lot. Was Queen Anne the one that liked to have sex with girls? Like was bisexual is she because i, I in that movie Anne the favorite the queen's name is queen anne oh. um but I, there might be of course more than one queen anne so there, there is a lesbian queen anne i'm sure i don't know if it's that one i don't think it's this one we're about to find out listeners All because wikipedia isn't raging about it so <laughs> yeah so i'm sure it's there's not, not 20 citations after <laughs> yeah I do feel like the queer community has taken over Wikipedia in those instances. And I really appreciate it because when I need to know if someone was queer ever, I I like to see it. I like how much effort goes into putting that on Wikipedia for me to read. Yeah. Before we um, get into, I want to ask you something about that, but first the listeners need to, they need to know who you are, what your background is. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you monologue and because you're uh, you've, you've traveled more places than most of our guests and lived in more places. So I want you to tell your story real quick. All right. So my name is Ruthu and I'm, I'm Indian living in Dubai. Uh, I came to the U S for my undergrad as well as my master's. And now I'm in Canada doing, starting my PhD in English. It has been a long road. Um, What else should I say? I've lived in, Dubai, the U.S., Canada. I do go to India. Well, I used to go to India regularly before COVID happened. Um, I'm so bad so at introductions, sorry. So you didn't go to the United States. Uh, like, did you visit before you went to yeah. college? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of family in the U.S. just scattered across the north, mostly. Um, So we vis- we've visited. And are you the type of person who likes to go to different places as opposed to staying in one place for your whole life 
I think I think over the years, yes. When I was younger, um, and I watched a lot of like TV and whatever was projected through TV onto me, I was like, when I grow up, I want to be a traveler. Um, and yeah. now I don't have that because I'm well aware of how tedious traveling can be. But I do <laughs> have um, I do have like some issues with staying in one place. Um, I think I get tired of a place eventually, which is quite not like it's pretty bad uh i don't i try i tend to not entertain the that side of me because deep down we all want stability so yeah yeah e- even people who are constantly on the move that's that that is their form of stability is yeah. a constant cycle of of being on the go um yeah so we we um became friends pretty quickly just because I think we were both kind of weirdos. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. gravitated towards each other. And uh we've stayed in touch uh because uh pretty much the same reasons, but you've uh you've gone into to, into academia and I wanted to ask you a little bit about like your your journey to that place and like um sort of like any misconceptions you might want to clear up about people who want to be professors, people oh who want gosh. to be doctors. I have so much to say on this. Oh, well, well, the floor all, is yours. As someone in academia and in a, in a position that I can say this, I don't support academia. It's quite elitist. And it, in some ways, will bar you from being able to say a lot of the things that you want to say. Like, I know professors who started out with all of this, like, activism oriented work that they wanted to do and they would join an institution and now there were like channels through which they would have to do things and like it hinders them it makes it harder for them to be there for for i don't know communities in need in person like you might see the scholar writing about race or queer theory and all of this stuff and writing very important things that, that influence how you think and, you know, perceive the world. But if you meet them in real life, they're not able to do most of the things that they write about, which is such a problem. Yeah. But academic spaces do help you grow until you get a job there. And then, you're a little bit stuck do you have somewhat of a vision for like what you might want to bring to education or is this more like this is something you see as functional for you in the future honestly now that i okay maybe if you asked me this two years ago i would be much more idealistic and say i want to change so many things that i see around me and i hope that my work would be able to do that uh but if you ask me now which you are it's a job I am trying to go in with very little expectations because it's a job and it would be crazy for me to rely on my job to help me do what I want to do. So. Right. So you're, you're not like putting all your eggs in one basket in terms Definitely of this. Definitely not. Just because yeah. I'm seeing the people in action and they're having to change their ideal, like their ideals right. for, for the job, which is rough. Yeah. Which is like the last thing you want to do, especially when you're trying to like educate people and stuff. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, you, um, I believe for a brief period of time, you worked with people who were trying to gain citizenship. And yeah. I wanted to ask you your experience with people who like, because I feel like we talk to a lot of like 
privileged people who have been in the United States a long time and want to, you know, they think any place is better than here. But I want to know your experience working with people who are actually working really hard to get into the U.S. and what, what that was like for you working with those people. For sure. Um, so I actually taught a variety of people. I would teach um, standardized English like sections for like standardized tests, English sections for standardized tests. And they were either people looking for citizenship. So they're trying to enter an English speaking country and stay there, like you said, or they're, they're like having to do the test for college. So they're like, on one hand, they're like 17 year olds. And then on the other hand, I have like 40 to 50 year olds with families, sometimes just on their own, whatever. Um, The ones who were trying to move, the older age group, they were much more diligent. They like, they had stakes, right? They were trying to get somewhere and this is not where they wanted to be. Um, There were some people who have failed the test a couple of times and now are taking the class because they just have no other option. These these classes are really expensive and I, I don't even get paid half as much as they charge per person. Um, was there any like emotional labor involved or did you try and like keep like what I'm asking, I guess, is when you were working with these people, were you able to keep that in the classroom or did you sometimes think about this stuff when you got off of work? Um, well, so with the with the older group, it was definitely mostly professional. And, and honestly, that work has changed me because I I grew up with my dad being so I don't know he was really into the west and so he had all of these things that he expected me to be um like in like he for example when I when my accent slowly morphed into what it is he was really happy because he likes that I sound more western than anyone else um and then when I was a kid when I mispronounced things like he would police me on it he would like tease me until I I corrected it which was obviously quite problematic but It was he, in his mind. It was for my my own good, which I disagree. But when I so I also had these ideas that like if you're going to speak English, like you have to speak it the right way. You have to be able to pronounce those things the right way. You have to know the grammatical structures of words. And I still think that knowing grammatical structures is pretty important um, because that helps you manipulate those structures better. You can be more intentional about how you get things wrong, which I think is a an amazing skill that everyone should have. Um, <laughs> I mean, it just makes you more creative. Um, but once I started teaching adults who are trying to, you know, figure out the structure and language, I was like, this is so stupid. Why do people have to do standardized tests to be allowed entry? Like, can you understand what they're saying? Are they communicating their, what they need to clearly? Once I got, once I realized that, I got quite cynical about i mean i think i think rightfully cynical about whatever whatever english thinks it is yeah i I don't know too much about the naturalization process and gaining citizenship and so forth but it does sound like we have like there is the whole like ellis island idea of like we're a multicultural country but basically what you're describing is sort of like okay this this is a test to prove how much you can kind of forget your old ways and embrace this new better way and for you in your in your household that was considered almost like um now did your uh does your father have an accent when he speaks as well or has he gotten rid of his 
No, he does not have a Western accent, but he does okay. speak quite like he he enunciates very clearly, and he tries to speak very well, so to speak. Okay, so he he really values like a proper. Okay, now would like British like be okay, or like is wow. there something about the American Western accent that was idealist? So he initially wanted me to have a British accent. Um, gotcha, and then once gotcha. I gained a more Americanized accent, he's like, you know, it's a good thing it wasn't a British accent. Now that I think about it, American accents are just easier to understand. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Um, but to what you're saying, I really, I really see that in when you, when I talk to people who are from different countries, because so if you look at the language structure of their mother tongue, and then you look at how they talk, uh, how how they like speak English, they use the same language structures from their language. That's why their English gets messed up. Because so like in my language, which is Malayalam, sometimes you you don't you say like adjective or you say verb, adjective, and then subject, and like it can it can move around. So 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 when when they say when people say it in English, they'll use the same structure that they did in Malayalam. I'm, I'm glad you you're we're like talking about language now because I wanted to ask you like one thing that a lot of people like don't appreciate is like how hard it is for you know once certain plasticity in your brain solidifies, it's 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 hard to learn these these new languages. And I, I wanted to ask you like when you when you came to live in the U.S. when we were in college. How did how did pe- were people somewhat like ignorant about the fact like did 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 anyone basically come up to you and say like do you speak like brown people language like were they like were they embracing it or were they curious what was because um my whole life you know of of you know when most people see black Americans they basically assume we're we're monolingual yeah um so I I'm, I want to know your experience like um. In terms of like did some people fetishize the fact you know more than one language did some people like hey can you say this like what is my what is my name and you're yes that's happened for sure <laughs> um i've also had someone say do you speak indian and also you speak hindu right and i was like so hindu is a religion yeah and it's called hindi and india's india has all these po- political reasons for why hindi is the national language but like it's not <laughs> Right, it's it's not really the national yeah. language. Okay, it's a nationalist language. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um. like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've definitely heard those variations. Um, I guess it always freaks me out when they're like, "Can you say something in Malayalam?" Because like I know you're not going to understand it, so I just don't understand the points. So I can never think of what I should say. Um, but that was freshman year. When people asked me to do that. Okay. So it started to calm down the more you got settled in, the more yeah. they got used to seeing your face. Yeah. Also, I like, I, that was one of the things I didn't give into because it made me feel uncomfortable to just speak my language out loud to people who don't understand it. Right. Um, right. Like, not on show. Um, when you, um, I'm curious, like, when you were speaking to, um, either your parents or friends from back home, would you uh, switch language sometimes in like mid conversation or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I, what's interesting is that when I speak in Malayalam, I, I don't have the Western accent English. Like I will use okay. Malayalam accented English. Um, 
which is something I noticed and I was like, do I do this on purpose? I've tried to like kind of kind of ruminate on it and have failed. I just don't know why that happens. Does um does part of you like do you ever have like a fear that you'll lose touch with the first language you learned or are you basically at peace with the fact okay, you don't you don't give a shit. Oh no. <laughs> well because I knew Malayalam before I spoke English. Right. It, the, my parents like big kindergarten story is that my they got called in and a teacher was like you need to stop like stop talking to her in her in whatever your language is at home because she doesn't know english and my parents just said that's your job right <laughs> like why why should we not speak in our mother language yeah. to our child um so I've never felt that out of touch. In fact, I think a lot of people are surprised when I speak Malayalam really well because, I, because I don't know, people think that, oh, you have Western accented English, probably don't know Malayalam. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Have you ever encountered a situation where someone that also speaks the, uh, your mother uh, language says like, because I, I, I know sometimes when... um bilingual people who when spanish is their first language other people who speak spanish will like insult their spanish speaking abilities like oh you like your spanish isn't very good like have you ever run across anything like this or other people in your life who are like you you've lost you've lost a little bit of this or something like that so yes and no so my version has always been you speak malayalam so good which like it's kind of weird because w- white people are always like you speak english so good and then so i get it from both both directions (laughs) um i had this one person and this is really weird because i think her malayalam was really bad and i i feel like maybe she was projecting because she would tell me she'd be like your malayalam is really bad your your pronunciations are so bad and i'd be like i'm speaking a language that I'm quite comfortable in talking. Like I, I talk like this all the time and I've never heard that. Uh, so one person ever has done that. And I was like, okay. I think you have issues, but <laughs> yeah, it's like, I think you need to look inward right yeah. now. You're, you're, I'm not the one with problems. Yeah. Um, but I think there's like such a huge gap in the American education system that like fairly smart people will say stuff like, do you know, do you speak African? Do you speak Indian? Like, the public school system you know people are not taught here about different languages other than either a language that's going to be good for the economy like they think you know learn mandarin or cantonese for talking in business or you know learn spanish or but like anything besides that is either considered like oh you know we go on vacation to you know germany or, or, or france don't you want to know what they're saying but it's like what about the fact that there's continents and groups of people with dialects and different things like we have no idea about? And I'm wondering like if that gap will ever be filled, but honestly, I, I think that that's a level of ignorance that anyone from any, any country has. I just think that there's just responsibility that the American people have saddled themselves with when they say we're the number one country or like, you know, like we know everything. Well, it doesn't seem like y'all know everything because the dumbest shit all the time. Um, But for example, when I, I think I didn't, I still don't know all the States of the U S and like, I don't really care. I don't care about that. There are lots of countries in the world that I don't know exist. 
but um but if someone was like i'm from this place i would not be asking them dumb questions i would just google it and like read up which yeah which people don't seem to do yeah it's it's like i always respect that like eagerness to like learn new things even if you don't like it's it's the whole thing of like i don't know this and i'm okay never knowing it versus like i'm I'm willing to learn about this yeah. and better myself exactly yeah. i mean for me oh. it's like i don't want to look like an idiot so i read up everything it's called anxiety but you know it helps Do me you have like your own like window and your uh, internet browser that's like strictly for research yeah. like just 10 wikipedia tabs you're like, right when i talk yeah. to someone i immediately like I, I i google whatever whatever is happening that i don't understand so that i can understand it better and, and wikipedia is really enabling for people with add i think like I open the app and I have legit like 42 different articles. And then I'm like, I don't know if I want to close this. I might, <laughs> I might want to read more about these sources later. Yeah. And like, it's not all academic. Like I might be like going to know about, um, uh, that show. Never have I ever like, Oh, that's a think, good show. Shut weren't up. we, we had a conversation about, yeah. you might've, yeah, yeah. That, I don't know if you want to talk about that, but, you told me something about behind the scenes. I think it was on that show. Oh, I don't or, remember at all. It was either that show or a different show where the actress, uh, the age of what she was oh, yeah. filming did yeah. not coincide with uh, her co-star. And it's like, yeah. Her co-star is-, is 30 or 30 something. And she was 17 when the show started. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember you, t- you tweeted this and it's like, what? Like, yep. I feel, I feel, I genuinely feel like since there's so few American shows, telling these stories about like people of color, like the standards are not there to where like, if this was like, you know, the gossip girl revival, they would never let something like that fly. I agree. And and their, their like explanation was that they didn't look at, they didn't check the ages. They were just like, he looked pretty young. And so after (laughs) we signed the contract, we noticed that he was like 29. And at that point we're like, what the heck? Let's just go with it. Like, and it's it's not PR like a small person? thing because what was that? Oh, sorry. I was like, who is your PR person that they didn't yeah. warn you about this? And it's not like a little detail. Like a huge theme of that show is about sexuality and and puberty and so forth. So the fact that you guys didn't check that just shows that you really didn't care. You guys did not know the oh, success the show would have. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's, that sucks for them. There's like so much yeah. like physical stuff going on between these two characters at least i mean even though riverdale and gossip girl had actors who were 30 playing teenagers and we Mm -hmm. could tell at least the ethics were airtight yeah yeah like why give them the room why give them the room to like criticize you for this it's such an easy fix do you um because i do this myself with some like what i would call trash tv uh, do you ever like get like like when you watch some of these shows? Uh, I know you're a big uh, fan of like the K comedies and K dramas. Um, do you ever go and approach those with an academic lens, or in fact, I only approach bad shows or or mediocre shows with an academic lens. I really think it's the best way to to watch it because I really love bad like bad TV. I I especially 
like lean into that genre of movies and TV. Where some, I actually watched He's All That two days ago. It was rated three point one on IMDb, and I was like, "Let's go!" Um, it was worse than a three point one. They had a TikTok dance off at prom, for example. Um, What's it called? He's All That. It's the remake okay. of She's All That from the from the two thousands. If you know it um who was in she's all that uh i feel like a famous actress was in that rachel lay cook okay yes and yes Freddie prince jr yeah okay um, so it was a it was a remake with a, a gender swap situation yeah kind of, and it was okay. super bad it was like disney movie bad except it's not a <laughs> disney movie but um yeah. when you when I, I like to watch those with with a very critical lens because it gives you so much more to laugh at. It gives you so much more to, to cringe to, to cringe and like hate on. And I love hating on shit. Yeah, I, I totally like dream of a day when like they'll legitimately be classes on like K-drama and stuff respected okay. the same way. Because like I feel like a lot of this stuff like we were both English majors. We had to read like a lot of trashy poetry. But yeah, so much canon. Since it was like written by people who are influential quote-unquote upper class we had to respect it and put it on a pedestal but like what's the difference between that and like this arc in this basic live action anime that yeah. i'm watching i right mean now? at least the live action anime and k-dramas had mostly consensual content i remember yeah yeah i remember reading about um god damn it my brain is not working today what era was shakespeare from um elizabethan yes sorry i'm sorry i am an english phd student (laughs) y'all um but like reading poetry from that era was like she was sleeping and i kissed her and then she slapped me what a big dick do i have doing that like yeah i'm sorry your whole poem was about sexual assault why am i reading this (laughs) It, it is kind of messed up how a lot of the professors would justify it. Like, oh, we don't really know what happened. Just accept the text for, wow. you know. I do appreciate my professor at the time, but she would just be like, I can't believe he wrote this, which was very cool. Um, yeah. But. I don't know if, um, I think it's a play, though, Rape of Lucrece. I don't know if that is actually about rape at all. I don't know either. Uh, but I think there are. In like Titus Andronicus, I think there's a a, oh, a rape yeah. in that. That's well, that's it might be played for comedic effect even. It's it was so bad. So my professor, my Shakespeare professor in ASU, absolutely will never keep will always have Titus Andronicus in her syllabus because um, she just thinks it's so important because Titus Andronicus is the the like black villain, right? And he mm-hmm. he is not he's no motive. Like his motive is chaos and cruelty, and that was yeah. the entire reasoning behind the entire play. <laughs> yeah, it was just like I just wanted to watch the world burn because I am a black man and I got nothing else yeah. to do. And I was like, "What? How does? <laughs> how do people not talk about this?" Um, but th- that not only in a rape scene, like in the original myth, he cuts off her tongue so she can't tell people that he raped her, but she writes it instead. So in Shakespeare, he was like, none of that shit's happening. No plot holes. Cut off her hands, too. Yeah, like, and, and, and the fact, like, these things are, you know, and, like, I, 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 it sounded like your professor at that time, like, actually was trying to make a point by teaching it. Am mm-hmm. I right? I, yes, okay, definitely. yeah. Like, but that makes me think of, like, 
the overwhelming um quality of like i guess white literature we were exposed to and like like there there was like one class that was like i think it was african-american like fiction or something and that and of course since it was one of the only ones offered it would it would be filled up yeah. immediately yeah and i always kind of I, I always felt a little bit weird about like a bunch of like white students like being really eager to learn about that meanwhile like i'm not saying like uh persons of color should have like priority access to these subjects but it does feel really weird hearing like like i don't you, you can um tell me how you feel about this but i do feel weird sometimes when white academics talk about you know indian or, or, or black literature or culture and they kind of it's like they view it as something to be like fascinated by, mm-hmm. but they're not like respecting it. Do, yeah. do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I know what you mean. Like it's a looking through the glass, right? Yeah. Um, I totally see what you mean. I do think it is important for white academics to engage more, but I do agree that there's always a gap between their understanding of the culture, of the history. Like they look at it, it like as an in theory sort of. You know, as as opposed to knowing the practices, beliefs, and culture. Like, there's no way you can learn what you experience. Like, you can't read that shit from books. Like, um, but unfortunately, I think what's more important in academia to me, personally, is that white scholars actually tend to quote people of color less right yeah that shit needs to stop because when when you look at so i i'll I'll speak specifically in race uh, the critical race theory but most of the labor is done by poc right but you'll you'll find the occasional white writer who are so eager to write about race and and their understanding of it and they won't they won't reference the poc who did the work yeah, they will yeah. reference a white person who ref- who referenced the POC. Yeah, I did notice that too. Yeah, yeah. and that's you. You think that's not a big deal, but in academia, those references are your salary. They hire you based on your references. Right. So, like you, you there's like a point system where the more you get referenced, the higher the chances to get a job. And so, I would love for white scholars to learn more, like scholarship done by people of color but um to your point i agree that maybe people of color should have a larger priority to those classes or more access to those classes because it's a culture that they've been kept from that is now being viewed for the pleasure of white students i remember like um people in my one of my english classes were talking about like jordan peele's movies like Oh yes, the philosophy of get out and they were, you know, talking all this academic bullshit. Meanwhile, I feel like they actually missed the point of the movie. Like do you have, do you ever feel that way like sometimes academics get so into the subject matter they actually miss the point. <laughs> yeah, that happens often enough. It's pretty <laughs> awful. Have you had to deal with a lot of um mansplaining in uh your time in education yes of course it would be crazy if i didn't um i so actually initially i thought that my cohort at the phd here is all women 
but it turned out that there were two dudes and um one of them is insufferable i hate him already uh he he like has a say in everything and it's usually based on his relationship to someone else like he was like he asked my friend if she did disability studies because well he didn't ask it directly but he all but asked if she did disability studies because she was disabled and then he said it's fine though i get it my ex was in a wheelchair and i was like this none of what you've said has been relevant (laughs) but thank you um there is someone who lived in sydney for a while coming she's from lebanon and she studied she did her master's in sydney and she was talking about a place and how far it is from where she lived. And he he shut her down. He was like, no, it's not two hours. It's like an hour at most. And I had to literally be like, I think she would know because she lived there. And he was like, well, my ex-girlfriend was from Sydney. So. It's, it's like all of his citations have to do with people he's dated. Yeah. Like I, that, that that's really like borderline offensive when people like, will excuse behavior based off of like people they used to date. Like yeah. as if that means anything. I, I feel that. I mean, it's the, I have, a I have black friends, right? Like it's, it's that thing that people always say where they're like, I'm not mm. racist. I have a black friend. My yeah. best friend is black. I, someone that we know has once said, I'm not racist. My best friend is black and my girlfriend yeah. is Indian. And I was like, right. I'm sorry, I'm dating you. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, people just say that shit. It's like they're unable to see outside of themselves at that point. Like, I judge them when they do that. Because, like, all you have to do is be open to understanding other people's perspectives and worrying about their perspective of you. Do you have, like, uh, going forward, like, a zero tolerance? Like, obviously, it's going to be tricky to navigate it because, like, you might be in a situation where, like, a professional superior is mansplained to you, but you might internally want to say like, Whoa, just, just shut, shut, shut the fuck up. Yeah. I don't want to hear it, but I, I, I feel like there's a lot of that in, you know, any position where mm-hmm. there's a disenfranchised person who, who, you know, you're almost forced to listen to this speech because yeah. this person might help your salary. Yeah, dude. It's I like, yeah. But at the same time, I, I do think it's awesome that you were like, no man, stop talking. She, she knows what, she's talking about like she actually lived there yeah well i had to do it a number of times another thing he did was um there are so my cohort is mostly people of color slash international people which i think is super cool i can't wait to be in that classroom it'll be the first time that it's not so two of them when they introduced themselves made jokes about how people mispronounce their names and were like you know just just make it close enough at least and he said well, I guess I'll call you Bob. I'll call both of you Bob because Bob is close enough. And you'd think that joke ended there, but the ne- it like lasted till like the next day when someone who was not on call and therefore didn't know the joke was like, who are all the other people in our program? And he replied, well, there's Bob and Bob. No context. Yikes. And I had to yeah. be like, well, actually their their names are. I had to go on chat and do that because no- he wouldn't clarify and I was like, you were so racist that you took a joke that people of color were making to about their awkwardness with people getting their name wrong. And you were like, I'm so edgy. I'm going to like make it my personality. Yeah. 
I, I do have that fear of like, oh, I really want to say this professor's name, uh, <laughs> but he taught he he was he was very Christian. Yeah. And uh, I think he would like go on Reddit and stuff. And like, I am wondering like about like people who spend a lot of time on the internet and communities like becoming professors and shit mm-hmm. and having their own edge lord take on academia and everything. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. oh gosh, these people are uh, these people are really going to be teaching children. Yes. I mean, <laughs> that's the problem with academia is right. Right. Like they're they have this like super selective process that is super flawed. And the people that get through sometimes are like you had privilege backing you and now you're here and now you're going to always be here. Ritsu, I'm going to have to have you back on the show so we can talk about um, the LG, the Alphabet Mafia, <laughs> all the – because we – I didn't realize we'd talk about academia the – Yeah. I didn't realize it could be so fascinating to talk about on a show like this, but yeah. here we are. I mean, um, I have so many more wild stories about academia. So we'll, we'll absolutely have to have you back on. For sure. Um, I would love to be back on. Is there, um, I know you have an amazing art page. Do you want to plug that? Do you want to plug anything else? Because, um, I gave myself carpal tunnel doing art. Oh no, I didn't know that. Yep. Um, so I have not drawn anything for about five or six months now. I mean, I have, but like very little tiny things, but. Okay. So I don't draw anything. I haven't drawn anything for a while because I figured I should give my wrist slash elbow some rest. Okay. It got to the point where I couldn't feel the, my last two fingers. Ouch. Yeah. Um, I was like, okay, maybe I need to take a break. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Is there any other place people can find you? Uh, I think you have a very underrated Twitter that more people need to. Thank you. I was going to say, follow my Twitter at Nosferitu. Um, because I take time to curate my jokes. Nothing, <laughs> but uh, I, I like to think I'm quite funny. I, I see a lot of your drafts cause I have the notifications on. So sometimes I'll see a tweet and then you like delete it and then oh, yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> So, so she does curate, um, indeed, listeners. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Ritu. We're gonna. This is one of the best conversations we've had on the show. I think Aww. we touched on a lot of topics, and I think people are gonna get a lot of therapy out of listening to this. I hope they do. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, and for you listeners at home, we will see you next time. Goodbye. Peace. <laughs>